Hello, Matthew Grant. Welcome and welcome back. Now, I'm not going to hang around for this introduction because we have another extended episode for you this week. But if you've ever wondered about how data is being collected by aerial images from satellites and such like, and what underwriters are doing with it, then this one's for you. Or you may just be curious the kind of tools that insurers are using and underwriters, or in this case, why one large US insurer, that's American family, wanted to spin out a technology company from its innovation team. Now, a quick warning, if you're on your bike, out for a run, or just grabbing a walk in the sunshine, you might want to stop to give yourself a chance to catch your breath halfway through. Okay, let's go. JC, great to have you along. I know you're a bit of a, uh, a podcasting expert. You've got some great kit there, actually. I'm getting kit envy already, so uh, uh, I, hope, I guess I'm going to learn a few tricks from you. It actually comes from one of my side hobbies. Of, uh, I play music and write music, and uh, trivia about myself, I used to play in bands in Austin uh, many, many years ago, so I still fortunately have a lot of things that are coming useful for other purposes besides my hobby. So <laughs> this is some of my music equipment for recording that I've repurposed for today's podcast. All right, well, we're actually looking for some new music for the Instep podcast, so if you want to send us a demo tape, uh, we'll give it a run. The- <laughs> But on with the show. Uh, so this is great to have you joining us. You've got a massive background on LinkedIn. I'm not going to be able to do full justice to that, but you are CEO of Aturio. Got a long history. It looks like going back to 1993. You've been working in technology, innovation, a whole range of industries, including at the Department of Defense. I think you were also involved at one stage with a company that ultimately became uh, Google Earth. And then you founded Thermopylae Science and Technology uh, and joined another organization. And then in 2018, you were appointed CEO of Arturius. So, uh, so welcome. Um, what have I missed on that? I'm sure something in there that we should be adding into your list of experience. The uh, opportunity I had to serve as head of commercial product at Digital Globe, uh, now Maxar, the world's largest commercial satellite imaging and now kind of space company, was the role that I played immediately before being recruited in by American Family to spin out Arturo. So it gave me a really interesting perspective on, you know, 25 years of satellite imagery going back um, you know, covering the surface of the planet and just kind of how could machine learning, big data analytics, AI use that data to create better business outcomes. So that was uh, a really, really uh, useful experience uh, prior to joining Arturo, um, which I also deeply valued. Yeah, we're going to dig into that a little bit more in a minute. And I've got to say, Chasey, you've got one of the more helpful websites I've seen in, in terms of what does Arturo do? You don't sort of bury it in there. Uh, you're very clear that you help. Sure, it's an old one. Anita <laughs> <laughs> oh, will be thrilled. Our CMO will be thrilled to hear, hear that comment. Well, we've, we, we've spent a fair bit of time with your marketing team, and, uh, yeah, they're doing a great job. But you're helping insurers with underwriting, renewals, claims, a whole lot more. And I know even within those, there's some things you do differently, and we're going to dig into those. Uh, but yeah, but first of all, it would be good just to understand the backgrounds of Arturo. I know you started, or the company started, as a research project inside the, you know, one of the major U.S. insurers, American family. What, so what was going on? Because it's unusual to find that happening in reverse. Most of the time we're seeing companies going to insurers with ideas. It's interesting that you spun out of, an, of a major insurer. Yeah, no, it certainly is. And, and it was a um, learning experience for me doing a spin out from, you know, a Fortune 500, very, very large business. Um, but I think American family really has a passion for, innovation, but also giving back to the industry. And, and I think it's important to that 
team to not just innovate for themselves and their own benefit, but to to innovate in the industry. Um, and so they had a small team um, based out of Madison called their Data Science um, and Analytics Lab, or DSAL. And ironically, the father of that lab, as it were, uh, you know, founder of it, Dr. Marty Buheim, had obtained his Ph.D., 20-something years prior to that role in photogrammetry, which is really the science of remote sensing and you know, analyzing remotely sensed images. At some point, American Family, I think, was really wanting to ask the question, how do we make better decisions about renewals, about underwriting, about pricing, about how we respond to risk and claims? And I think as they went through that process, and again, this predates me and the organization because they brought me in as they decided to spend it out. But as they, they told me this story when I was being recruited in, they had gone and they had really looked across the data holdings in the business and said, okay, have we ever validated this property information either that we get from a consumer, that we get from an agent, uh, that we may get from third-party data providers? And they wanted to see how accurate this information was. So when they went and analyzed, you know, all their data holdings, they found something pretty shocking. And, um, you know, as they related to me, you know, up to 50% of the information used in the life cycle of an insurance policy, they found that, you know, up to 50% of it could be wrong up to 50% of the time. The question became, can we make the information better? And, And if so, how would you do that? I think the interesting thing about property is when they went through that data that they had on the property, they found that it wasn't that the data was never right. It's just that the data may not be right now, meaning that things change, right? People add she sheds in their backyard or put in a pool or add an addition. Um, they may maintain their property well. Some homeowners may not. Um, so the data may have been right at one point, but how do you get the most current, most recent information? And obviously, how do you do that without sending, uh, you know, an inspector to, in American families case, millions and millions of properties, like, you know, once a, once a year, once a quarter. And so through that evolution, Dr. Murray Buheim, who's still on our advisory board today, thought, well, I wonder if there's enough satellite imagery, aerial imagery, even ground level imagery of property where we could harness machine learning, which back kind of when this was, uh, incepted was a very kind of new thing, right? Google was just talking about AI in 2014 with Jeffrey Hinton's uh, work. So ultimately they decided to try to harness satellite imagery, aerial imagery, and ground level imagery, create machine learning models about properties to understand those things an insurer wants to know. And the rest is, is history. They were able to really find a lot of lift. They were able to find property details, including like deterioration of roof, um, you know, materially think bad things happen to property or detect that the property is still in really, really good repair and really good condition. Um, and ultimately that they said, what do we do with this? They had been using it in various spots of their business and they said, we can own a big piece of this. We can use this. And we again want innovate in the industry, this can be something that many insurers can benefit from and other industries. So just kind of jumping in there a bit on the American family innovation culture. So they've, sounds like they've, they initiated this. Have they got a, like a separate innovation team or is this, you're talking about there that the, the issue is with the property. Was this driven by somebody in the, the property business unit having concerns about the, the problems they're seeing with the data or is it just done independently of the business users? It was really as they went through their digital transformation process, they were looking at the types of data that they, you know, needed to collect, how they collected it. And, you know, a lot of data is hand collected or verbally collected. And so I think as they were going through that process of identifying all the data that they collect as part of digital transformation, they were asking, well, 
how good is the data, right? And so I really think it came out of that. And I think they're, you know, focus on data science, machine learning, analytics as a, as a insured, you know, going back, we spun out in 2018. So they were doing this like as early as 2015, 2016, quite, quite advanced for an insurer to be spending and investing around that, that early on. But I, it really came out of a combination of the data science and analytics team, right? Looking at data as part of the digi- data, uh, digital transformation and saying, how do we make this better? Uh, and then what was the shift from doing it internally to deciding they could actually build a business out of this? There was, I think, three real big drivers for them. The first is, and, and I think this is really perhaps an important you know, lesson for your listeners on do you build it yourself? Do you buy it? Do you partner? Right. That's a, a fundamental question I think every business has to ask. I ask it as a CEO of my team. Wait a minute. Is, should we be building this or can we just go buy it? And I'm not talking about our products, obviously, but it's, you know, we need needs in our business. But what American family fundamentally thought is if they continue to solely develop the technology, the technology would only ever be as good as their book. Right. Because that's what you're optimizing for is your properties, your data. Um, obviously, American Family has made a number of acquisitions over the past few years, Main Street America, um, HomeSite, and I think most recently Ameriprise. And so they're adding additional you know, brands and some of those are in you know, states they may not have previously written in. Right. So the product would only be as good as wherever they were. And as the business grew, then they would have to make the product again better for a whole nother set of properties. But if the business was out on its own. And of course, uh, uh, our dear friends, American families still have most favored nation pricing, so they'd still get the best deal on the market. They could get the best of both worlds. They could have the product go out and touch other markets, other use cases they weren't even thinking of, and then potentially be the beneficiary of that as a paying customer, of course, but um, in a way that you couldn't, because it's hard to have a business case for, let's go make uh, some product work for where we don't insure. Like, which uh, which CEO or board member is going to say, oh, that sounds like a great idea. In case we ever decide to go to the other market, we'll be ready. No, you say, we're going to go here, we're going to do these steps. Okay, so that's the history of how Archeria started, and they haven't hung around since JC joined either, as we're about to find out. In our case, you know, we were now in Austra- uh, U.S., Canada, Australia, soon New Zealand. Uh, we just signed a major deal yesterday with uh, one of the, the, the largest Japanese uh, residential PNC insurers. Very excited about that. So we're kind of everywhere, or we're going to be everywhere, uh, and we're soon going to be in uh, in Europe. So. That's an amount of kind of growth in market access and in, in use cases that we're like learning in Australia. We just worked with Suncorp on New South Wales sledge. Hopefully we can talk about this later today, but they would never have gone to Australia or Japan or other places if it was just American family. They probably wouldn't have even gone to other states. So ultimately it was that we'll learn new use cases as we serve other customer needs and we'll go to other geographies, at least in the U.S. where they do a lot of, you know, in every state, they'll get that benefit that they would never have received had they kept it just internally. Yeah, and it's really interesting that concept about an insurance company spinning out a technology company. I mean, we've over the years we've seen the brokers in particular spin off. The, I think the major reinsurers out of Bermuda came out of just funding from brokers. We've seen some NGAs coming out from brokers. It's kind of interesting to see it going in a different direction. And then to your, your point about build versus buy, my version of that is like you know, and again, I I try and fix the plumbing or paint the house to remind myself why I pay a professional to do it. So I'm a big fan of uh, of buy versus build, you know, certainly when it gets beyond the most basic areas. So I'd like to sort of get back a little bit into what you're doing now with the aerial imagery. And you sort of hinted at this earlier on in terms of the sort of identifying changes in properties over time and, and getting higher resolution. But it'd be good if we could just sort of paint a visual picture of what 
data are you collecting and what are you doing with it to turn it into sort of decision points for people and how and then we can talk a bit about how do they actually use it in practice. It's fair to point out to our you know our great partners who actually fly the aerolimetry programs, companies like uh, Vexel and through their GIC program, which is a partnership with the National uh, Intelligence Crime Bureau, NICB, and, you know, really enables insurers to access some of, you know, if not the best aerial content of property in the world. Um, they're the ones out there collecting the content, right? They're making that investment in hundreds of aircraft, pilots, you know, flying all over uh, you know, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Japan, and other places. But what Arturo really focuses on and how do we take that information and turn it into something that's consumable. Um, if you've ever fl- flipped through your iPhone photos <laughs> or Android photos, depending on your church preference, you know, you probably realize my storage on photos is like gigabytes and gigabytes of just images solely collected from these little devices, right? So you can imagine how big these files are of, a, of an image at high resolution, you know, seven and a half centimeters square for per pixel that's covering, you know, entire cities. Um, it's literally petabytes of data, petabyte being a, t- a thousand terabytes, right? So they're the ones capturing the type of thing that they're capturing when they fly these, these, these missions, as they're called, where they're collecting is they capture a couple different things. One is RGB, or visible spectrum, red, you know, green, blue, um, imagery. And that is just like you capture on your, on your phone. Um, sometimes, uh, things like near IR or near infrared are captured as well. Sometimes um, that data is captured as just what is called ortho, or think of it as like the top-down view, where you're looking straight down on the property. And sometimes oblique, which is, if you ever remember Microsoft Bing Maps, the bird's-eye view, where you could kind of look 360 around and, and spin the image. Those are called oblique images. They're kind of taken at a, about a 45-degree angle, but all the way around. So the combination of that can also be brought together to also create things called digital surface models or a 3D representation of you know, how high buildings are, how high trees are, what's the volumetric area of brush, things like that. So it's really all of those types of content. And in you know the future, I think there'll be things like hyperspectral imagery, meaning not just the bands our eye can see, but reflectance bands that uh, can be remotely sensed that could do very interesting things like truly understanding composition of roof materials that aren't visible, really discernible to the human eye in just an image. So it's really that's the type of data they're capturing. And if you were to hand all that to an insurer, you'd be giving them terabytes or petabytes of images. And also no underwriter, you know, like um, wants to sit, one of our, our, our great customers has about, probably 400,000 properties a month that we knew. There's no underwriting use case to look at all that data, right? But that's the type of, in answer to your question, that's a type of data that's being very, very frequently collected uh, today that, you know, we make useful to our insurers. That's great. Uh, well, you've got an entire description there of state of the art of data collection. So I think we might just extract that and turn it into a report in its own right. So thanks, JC, for that. <laughs> right, um, sure. the, I want to come back to something you said earlier on there. So you talked about seven centimeter resolution. So it, does that mean that the data or the analytics, or however you want to think about this, that your clients get are, are, are actually at that level of resolution because that's clearly really important for things like flood depth or you know, other areas of determining what the risk is. Or does it then get sort of degraded when you when you kind of build the model out of it or the decision points? So the resolution of of seven and a half centimeters is about approximately. I keep this coaster here on my desk. It's about this big, and it's just for scale. 
so that would be this is about seven and a half centimeters square. So what that means is I just jump in because we're any audio on that. You, we just have to get people to imagine yeah. a, it's a beer coaster. I think it looks it's like a beer coaster. Yeah, exactly. So or coffee <laughs> coaster, depending on what time of day it is. Um, so it's about the size of a coaster. So that means every pixel in that image is about the size of a coaster. So if you wanted to look for, let's say, you know, um, a penny. Um, you wouldn't be able to see it because you could put many pennies on a coaster. Mm. But if you wanted to look for part of the roof that was missing an entire shingle, okay, that's probably three by two coasters. That big. So you could easily see it. You'd have approximately six pixels to look at there. So the resolution is really important. The higher the resolution, the more things you can see on the property, on the roof and identify. So satellite, for instance, when I was uh, back with Digital Globe and Maxar, about the highest resolution satellite in the U.S. you're allowed to capture legally um, by U.S. law as a U.S. company is around 30 centimeters. So so orders of magnitude, those those pixels become larger than dinner plates uh, for, for the audience uh, to, to visualize. <laughs> so anything that is smaller than a dinner plate, you don't, it would be buried inside the pixel because it's pixels one color, you wouldn't be able to see it. So it's really important as we work with these high-resolution aerial imaging technologies uh, that our customers know generally is becoming higher resolution. Every year there's innovation uh, that, that occurs, and it's also becoming more frequent. Like, so how often is the data being collected? You know, more accurate, higher resolution, and more frequent. That's a trend we don't see slowing down anytime soon across the markets that we're in. And, and you, you're talking earlier about Flying aircraft, you, you talked there about satellites. So are you acquiring this through, was there a combination of aircraft and satellites mostly? Correct. Yeah. We, we, we started out using, um, a combination of, of satellite imagery where aerial imagery had not been collected and also, of course, aerial imagery where it existed. That was almost four years ago. I can't believe I'm saying that, but almost four years ago, that was the state of the landscape for imagery of property. What's really interesting today is that for, um, you know, again, Vexel GIC, great partner to us. They have content for the U.S., but where 99% of people are. And the higher the resolution, the more things we can tell them. Think about a hail, you know, the size of a, a golf ball. You know, it's far smaller than a coaster, so when that resolution gets down to the size of a marble, you'd probably be able to see hail indentation, right, on certain things because you can finally now see it. So we're excited about how that this industry just continues to accelerate the rate of content that we can turn into information, uh, imagery content that we can turn into information for our customers. And, and so Vexel and your other partners, they, they're already acquiring the data, so you're not having to commission them to go off and find individual data points. I guess it's implied in what you said just now about the coverage. Absolutely correct. Now, some, you know, insurers do, uh, at times, we've, some have perhaps their own drone, uh, access and say they may go, you know, task certain areas to be captured. I've heard of one or two insurers that we've talked to who may have a plane that they use for, you know, very specific, you know, mostly cat response needs. But yeah, it would, it would never make any sense for anyone insurer to, you know, bear uh, on their own the entire cost of their own aircraft fleet, maintenance, pilots, you know, data processing, et cetera. And that's where these, you know, companies like Vexel are really, really innovating, leading the way, um, not just on the aircraft, but the sensors. They're, they're innovating with the sensors that capture the content to create better and more uh, novel content for use. But you sitting in the middle, so I can get why an insurance company wouldn't go and do a flyby or a fly pass, but then do you as Arturo go and commission specific sort of acquisition of data or is it already out there and so you're sort of becoming more commoditized as a product? Yeah, I, it's already out there. I'm not sure um, 
you know, if commoditized is, is quite yet the right word, but I think that they're just capturing more and more of it. And so we can effectively access what they're already going to collect, uh, images of properties, cities, you know, et cetera. And they're providing more predictability about how often they're going to collect it and where they're going to collect it. So we can know, oh, you know, these major cities are going to have updates next month. Okay. Maybe we go as soon as it's there, process it and push that new information about the property to those insurers who, who insure those properties, right? There's, there's some new and exciting things that we're thinking about from a anticipation perspective of being able to anticipate when you're going to have information and then try to push it to the insurer when they need it instead of the pull, which is, I'm underwriting a property, I'm quoting a property, I have a claim on a property, and I'm going to go back and pull information about the property um, when there's a transaction occurring on the policy. Okay, and that's good. good. My next point. So, so for the under, if you take the underwriting case first of all, we'll come to claims in a minute. So, the underwriter is, there's different ways it can be underwriting depending, I guess, on the scale of the individual risks they're underwriting. But what would be a kind of typical use case for somebody using your information as part of the the quote process or the or the risk selection process or underwriting in in another way? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we see two key areas in you know, quotation and then submit bind phase of underwriting. The first, generally it's a quotation we see a lot of, they want to validate basic information about the property to simplify and automate the pricing for the consumer, right? So my homeowner's policy is about to expire and I'm shopping myself right now. So a lot of things I go to some carriers and I am asked uh, many, many, many questions. I generally then Go to the, go Google search again for another one that doesn't ask me so many questions. And um, some ask me next to nothing other than my street address, right? Those are the carriers that are pulling, pre-filling information about my property, oftentimes pulling Arturo data uh, to, to understand my property so that they can understand, you know, volumetric area of the roof, uh, you know, presence of pools, solar panels, trampolines. Some insurers may even look, how many vehicles do I have in my driveway? And there's other types of information that correlates with how they're rating risk. But an underwrite, so that's mostly for quoting. How do I probably price this policy? But then, at, you know, underwriting, what you're, the job of an underwriter is really to, to make sure, <laughs> uh, you know what you are underwriting, right? If it is a pool, does it have a fence around it, right? If it's a pool, does it have a diving board? Does it have a slide? Like other types of risk factors. And its conditions, right? Deterioration factors and risk factors into that underwriting process as just data. Like think of an Excel spreadsheet. So they're never actually looking at these images that we analyze. They're looking at, you know, in Australia and soon in the US and Australia, we have 266 discrete things about a structure or a property. We can tell you that's a lot. Then they can set rules like, okay, if there's greater than 25% lifted or missing shingles, we want to flag that property. We probably do that. that roof's going to have to get replaced or repaired. Um, they can set rules about this data to automate the underwriting process, flag things where a human that's, needs to be involved and where none of those negative things are present. Let's just underwrite it, right? We validated the property information. All looks good. The machine learning didn't detect any of those negative things. There's no need for a human to sit here and, and look at this. Let's set rules and push through. Yeah, and that's it's a really helpful clarification because I think the temptation sometimes you know, people think about underwriters using aerial imagery and they actually envision them looking at a photograph. But and I guess this is where your AI comes in is what you're actually doing is Arturia is looking at the photograph automatically and then you're populating those data points and then it turns out you're also actually matching those against underwriting rules and flagging where it needs to get a human intervention or gets rejected or if it's very clean you can underwrite it straight away so you, you don't actually ever use the 
the image, maybe some exceptions, I guess you might use it, but the underwriter is just working off raw data or not raw data, process data. You're absolutely correct. And, and, and as I stated earlier, you know, one of our customers, 400,000 policies a month are renewing, right? So if an underwriter looked at an image for just five minutes, I just did some basic math on my calculator, that would be 1,388 days for an underwriter to spend five minutes looking at 400,000 properties. So, of course, that's never going to work, right? So I, I should point out, though, that you know some people think about machine learning and AI. It's like, oh, it's taking away the human aspect of this, right? Like, you know, it's, it's taking away human jobs or what it really does is let humans be more efficient. So what we see with our customers is those things that we can detect aren't present and everything looks good, a human doesn't need to look at that. But where we're catching things, and I think making the underwriting process far more efficient and far more accurate, is we're able to go across those 400,000 properties in literally minutes mm-hmm. and distill down the ones that the underwriter does need to go look at. Do I inspect this? Do I not? Right. And we have customers actually finding huge reduction in inspection budgets by using our Turo and then huge efficiency in the inspection spend they still spend. So they're getting like two or three X the efficiency and spending half the money because we're pre-filtering and catching all these things a human never could. And then they're applying those budgets more appropriately. And then in terms of the types of properties you can analyze, I mean, homeowners' properties, a bit more commoditized, homogenous, uh, so homogenous rather than commoditized. But what happens when you start to get to some more variable properties with small business owners and then all the way up to sort of complicated yeah, uh, facilities or campuses and things like that? Can you also do that or is that more a manual process to extract the information? That's a great question. We right now have been for about six to nine months um, in a partnership with IAG Insurance and their Firemark uh, Ventures, uh, Firemark Accelerator out of Singapore, working exactly on this problem, right? Can we take our machine learning, can we apply it from going from residential to to commercial structures? I think the answer is definitely we found yes, and we're having some really great success with both IAG and um, one or two other key partners who we're, we're exploring this with. But I think the interesting thing is um, where we're first focusing is what I would say the type of properties that you see in your average neighborhood every day. So not skyscrapers, you know, not college campuses, not, you know, uh, specialty, uh, you know, line type of, you know, mines, refineries, but really just, you know, the type of place that you shop in or you eat in or you work in, right? Um, those style of buildings, because those are also make up the preponderance of the commercial structures in the world are, are actually those types of buildings. And so we're, we're starting there first. The second thing I note is oftentimes with commercial, there almost always is an inspection. There almost always is an underwriter because of the, the value of the, you know, the risks that you're insuring. And so one of the things we notice is different to your point about, you know, the homogenous aspect or how many residential properties there are. You know, an underwriter is very rarely looking at 400,000 commercial structures in a year. Um, so it becomes actually interesting. Instead of just like analyze everything and then just pass it if everything's good, we found that the machine learning becomes like a dynamic tool for the underwriter. So imagine instead of like we're passing everything, they enter the address, it zooms into the property in question, and it brings up information for that underwriter immediately based on the AI. But then the underwriter is taking action. They were clicking into the property and the building maybe and clicking, the, making sure that they're outlining the roof and then saying, okay, now analyze this right here for roof staining or ponding or I need the number of roof vents and maybe can we determine what type of uh, vent it is like is it is it a restaurant underneath there is there cooking oil and hot you know stoves or is this an AC vent 
that's helping the underwriter really understand use. Because in some of these structures, they have multiple tenants. You know, there's they don't know all the occupancy and the uses in, like, let's say, a, a, a small neighborhood strip mall, as we say. You know, so there could be lots of different uses. It really helps the underwriter have a tool, help them figure out what's really going on there instead of, we're going to automate everything for you, Matt. We're just going to tell you everything like we do in residential because the variance. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of cases out there. I mean, you'll notice the work you've done over the years where the combination of technology and, and the sort of human is is actually much better than technology. I mean, you just said it, technology on its own, obviously better than human on its own. They showed that, I think, even with chess playing. If you combine a machine with a person, you, you can kind of beat the you can beat the machines. Uh, and then I just wanted to come sort of to the other end of the uh, – I guess the kind of the insurance spectrum, for want of a better word, onto the claim side. Last time I saw you were out in California at the, the PIR conference talking about remote claims. We're going to feature in our report that's coming out very soon. Uh, so you're also using your data for looking at properties that have been damaged after events. And I know you were looking at the floods in Australia recently. Can you sort of talk through how that, how that works? Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting about our business is we, there's, there were businesses saying we can do things to help make claims better. And company, really cool companies like Tractable, who is on the, on the personal lines auto or motoring side, right? The consumer takes a picture of the damage of their vehicle and then up they estimate the claim. It's much, much more complex for homes, I would argue, and properties. You have large amounts of debris. You have sometimes have obstruction of view. And what we thought at the beginning at Arturo was we always wanted to end up in claims, but we saw a lot of people just focused on like understanding the damage, but how do you understand what it was like before? <laughs> because how it was be maybe it was really badly damaged before already, and then oh, it's now really worse, right? But no, it was just not repaired or whatever. So we kind of took the approach: we want to really understand the before and what's at the property very well, so that when we got to claims, we would be able to do. Change detection. Like I can run a assessment on a property and, and we do this all the time for customers in Australia right now where we look at the before and see, okay, what, how was the roof condition? What items were present at the property? Like, you know, these things, uh, with IEG, uh, they have a story where, um, they had a claim after a, a large weather event and, and the homeowner said, I've lost my $13,000 custom pizza oven in this backyard. There was just a pile of rocks, you know, after the event. And so we went and analyzed it before. It was a pile of rocks <laughs> that he claimed had been a pizza oven that had, you know, mortar pin and stone pizza oven that had fallen apart. No, it was just a pile of rocks. Um, so what we're really doing though is helping to again, help those assessors, as they're called over in Australia, or adjusters, understand quickly what's really going on, right? So can we detect damage? Can we estimate the area of, you know, let's say roof material removed or debris present in the yard or, or on the roof or, you know, those types of things, and then compare it to, you know, the most recent imagery uh, analysis of that house prior so you can really do things like estimation better. Or in large-scale events like floods, and we worked extensively um, with one of our really amazing customers, Suncorp, on this just, uh, just the past month, um, is – triaging what is damaged and how much very swiftly. So you can think about being able to do things like quickly and accurately estimating kind of your, um, your reserve ratio in an event, um, because you can quickly understand before claims are even made the impact. You could preemptively help your consumer better by knowing 
Matthew, your home has at minimum first floor inundation. So probably half of your belongings and half of your furniture, right? Like we want to quickly get you funds to begin remediating that so that they, you know, you don't turn into a mold incident and now we're replacing the entire interior of the house and things like that. So that's what's really exciting to me is how the before data and the after data are coming together to create a far better claims experience, claims outcome for our customers. And actually, a really interesting point about that as well is the speed of which insurers and reinsurers are being asked by their investors and the analysts, you know, what are your losses from an event? And it's always tempting. I mean, certainly, certainly from the catastrophe modeling point of view and others to come out, try and get a loss out there quickly, but it, or a loss estimate, but it actually can be very disruptive to an insurance company if they're being forced to give the results of what the losses could be without data. But it sounds like what you're doing now that you can, you're actually giving them more information where they can not just loss reserve, but also get a clearer view on what the potential scale of the loss could be because they've got much more accurate data. Is that, is that, you seen that happening recently in Australia? Absolutely. And there's a whole number of things that then that unlocks for an insurer if they can do that well. Um, And obviously, to the extent that they're reducing the response time cost and claim cost by understanding, reacting, even at times in an automated way um, to those who are clearly just needed, that can actually save immensely on, you know, kind of cutting down ultimately on their loss ratio, which is then money to go attract, capture new customers against their competition, uh, to offer better rates, you know, all those types of things that will make them a great business. So it's exciting to me that Arturo, you know, kind of from the point in time that a customer receives a quote through its underwriting process, through its renewing, um, through how it's looked on from a reinsurance perspective, uh, and then also through the claim in the event there's an exterior claim, clearly we're from the outside of the house. You know, Arturo has brought value and is bringing value for many, all of our customers across all these areas. And almost every one of our customers is, be, is working with us on almost every one of those pieces I just mentioned. Some not quite get at claims, but, you know, getting there and others, you know, embracing it fully. Yeah, I guess to your point, if, you, if, you're, if they're gathering information underwriting, then they're already, yeah, a certain way along the information they need to be able to assess the claims. And, and you mentioned in there in passing automated response. So does that mean that in some cases, either now or, or very soon in the future, insurance companies will actually be, making a payment to one of their policyholders because they can tell that a house has been damaged. Therefore, you know, they, they actually start putting money into the bank. Are we starting to see that happen? I mean, certainly what people are looking at with parametric insurance, but are you seeing that in the more traditional indemnity type insurance companies? I believe it's just around the corner, um, especially with, you know, uh, how I see um, innovation in, in the Australian market and I see it really working. They, they're asking themselves, okay, it all worked. You know, they've compared, um, here is the number of claims we received, and then here's what Arturo was able to predict in conjunction. We, we partnered with a synthetic aperture radar company, a satellite company from space that's measuring the surface of the water in these floods mm. um, within about a five-meter square area. So we were able to take the Arturo data that we derived about the three-dimensional height of the building, the area of the building, intersect it with the flood depth data that was being measured from space, and do things like predict, you know, first, second floor full inundation. And then the customer looked at what were the real claims and how did that match up where they had them, and they found a very, very high correlation. So, of course, the next question would be like, well, if we're able to do this on the next flood, shouldn't we just, you know, for a certain, you know, subset that we absolutely believe that this is predictively accurate, just pay those, you know, customers so that they've got the ability to, 
you know, get those repairs done, you know, get temporary shelter, you know, those other types of things versus just, you know, all the phone calls, all the assessors out in the field, you know, all of that cost to the business. And of course the frustrated consumer who's like, I'm not getting help from my insurer. So I think we'll see it. I don't, it's not to the best of my knowledge yet happened where the analysis is done and checks, you know, are, are sent or rather wired to the customer, to their bank. But I think that's the future. And I think that's a really exciting place as a consumer to think, you know, wow, that that company really is taking care of me well. That will do a long, long way for customer loyalty and retention. Yeah, and actually you can see it also with, with wildfire or tornado when a total loss is pretty clear. So in those situations, wiring some money into someone's bank account to at least get them up and you know, get them somewhere to live and you know, handle all the pain of trying to claim, you can see would be would be relatively, hopefully relatively straightforward and good for customer relationships. And then just regards to, you talked about Australia quite a lot, and you've got a number of big clients out there. What's your tip to other people about speed of being able to get out to the market and sell to companies? Because that's often the, the thing that holds you know, some of the best companies back. They just can't get engaged with insurance. You've clearly been able to do that. You had a bit of a head start with American Family, but you've also, as you said yourself, you're actually now selling your products around the world to some companies that are actually based, you know, as in the case of Australia, that's where they're, they're based. So you had to go out there, presumably, to Australia and sell it to them directly. Shockingly, um, I have yet to meet any of our Australian customers and they've not met any of our territory members in the entire time we've worked with them, which is I can't believe I'm on this podcast saying. And that's obviously thanks to COVID, right? As we concluded our Series A financing in February of uh, 2020, um, we were in the process of working with like IEG and Suncorp, but just virtually. And so we had plane tickets all set up to meet our new customers and then COVID happened. So um you know, we've never met them, but I do think that in answer to your question, uh, by the way, I am going to Australia, uh, <laughs> provided there's not another COVID spike. Um, at, at the end of May, I'm really excited about getting to meet those really phenomenal customers we work with there. But it's really about understanding, in my opinion, how you can create value for your customer, be they an insurer or, you know, as I mentioned earlier, lending, you know, something that we're now exploring. It's how does our information, this derived information from these images, create value for the customer? Because we're we're not often replacing budgets, Matthew. We're not taking budget away from, I don't know, fair risk, right? We're we're creating a new way to to save them money or make them money that pays for Arturo's you know, revenue, but gives a higher ROI to the customer. And so I think coming from American family, I like to tell our customers, we know you because we were you, <laughs> right? We were, ins- a lot of the team came from a, a top 10 U.S. insurer. So we understand where a lot of those things are and can partner with our customers if they say, well, well, this technology is interesting. Where should I apply it? You know, we can partner with them and say, okay, well, what are your strategic initiatives for what you're trying to get done in the business? Is it customer sat and, and, and retention? Is it claims reduction? Is it underwriting automation? Um, you know, is it, you know, more accurate pricing? Is it higher conversion rates in your distribution, you know, converting your customers on quote, get, lower your quote to buying ratios basically. And so we really kind of work with them across where are they, What's strategic to them now? And then we can help them determine how to use this information to get those ROIs in their business. I think that's, that's probably a big differentiator for Arturo. That's, I think, why we've been able to expand rapidly geographically is insurance is insurance, be it in Australia or Canada or, you know, even Japan. You have risks, you have all the same types of things. Architectural, you know, structures of properties may be slightly different. Materials can, can vary as we've found around the world, but 
the risks are all the same, right? You know, it's fire, it's flood, it's wind, it's hail, it's weather, right? And it's the homeowner and disrepair or mechanical breakdown of, of appliances or, or, or items. And those are all really the things. So where we can bring that is we help our customers quickly get that value. Um, and I think that's enabled us to, to expand quickly because of it. Yeah. Now you make it, I wouldn't want to say make it that easy, but I, cause I know it's not easy, but I think I suspect also with your experience and also founding a company before you sort of know, you know how to get out there and, and make those sales. Cause it is, it is very hard for people who are just starting off maybe a bit less of a track record, but on a sort of related question, are you also selling through some of the platforms or administration systems out there? Because that's increasingly popular and I think will continue to grow route to market for companies providing data. Or are you, you solely going through your own sales channels and, and working directly with your clients? Yeah, right now it's a little bit of a combination of both. They're predominantly direct. Um, so, you know, most of our revenue comes directly from having a one-on-one relationship with the insurer. Um, we do have a partnership with LexisNexis um, here in the U.S. that we announced, I think, uh, about a year, year, year and a half ago, where Lexus is integrating our rooftop information about roof condition into their Clue, property Clue product, and combining that with weather and claims data and other things to, to kind of give the insurer a really comprehensive understanding of the property. I mean, we don't collect weather data. You know, we just analyze the image of the property or images of the property. So it's combining that to, to have an even a higher value product. And we are, you know, talking to, you know, the folks at Duck Creek um, and the folks at Guidewire, right, about like, when does it make sense for us to be able to come and be a part of those platforms? I think that that can ease the transition for some customers to to getting that value. We have plenty of customers who already are guidewire to create customers that they're already using our Turo data. And they're just pulling it themselves into those platforms. So it'll probably be a combination as we continue to grow and expand. But uh, today it's predominantly direct. One thing I'm, I'm most excited about, and um, that's something we're going to be announcing um, on Monday in San Antonio uh, at the PLRB conference. And uh, it's really the benefit of spending almost now four years working with direct insurers, you know, on across the world on what happens once we give them our data, what do they do next or what do they want to do with it? And, you know, you mentioned platforms like Duck Creek or I mentioned Duck Creek and Guidewire as examples. Those are, you know, policy management systems, claims, you know, systems, there's they do a number of factors in the business. And that's really being able to take and synthesize the information Arturo's telling you about property, but at the, entire portfolio level. So if you wanted to say, I want to see all properties in my book that perhaps have greater than 20%, you know, staining on the roof or greater than 13% roof tree overlap or uh, are only, and are only asphalt shingle, instead of just looking at our term information on a per property basis, using that at a portfolio level to really like find, Oh, here's like the pockets of risk I have. I think that's going to be Customers get that ROI, we like to call it day zero ROI, immediately when they work with us. And I think it will also open up the market for the tier two and tier three carriers, you know, and insurers who, you know, they don't have the machine learning teams like American Family or the data science lab, right? They're, they may have a PIF of, you know, two or 300,000 policies. So they probably don't have a ton of data scientists to take Arturo data and figure it out. But this will give them a tool to start immediately getting that value. And that, that's probably the thing I'm most excited about. 
I love that comment, day zero ROI, because we all know how difficult it is to sort of to calculate the, the cost benefit from something you didn't do, as in like you didn't underwrite a bad risk, therefore how much money did you save, uh, as opposed to sort of being able to share it more, more directly. Um, JC, that was, that was really great there. There's some really lots of things I think to take away from that. In terms of if people now want to go away and learn a bit more about Arturo, I talked about the website, which I think actually I would recommend as one starting place. But is there anybody they should contact directly if they want to learn a little bit more and, and start to understand how they can use this in their own business? Um, absolutely. Of course, our website, uh, AI is the best place to, to start. Um, there's, of course, uh, you know, ways to contact us prevalently there info at arturo.ai is an email address anyone can email to um, but you know I think another thing I'd point folks to is we've we really worked hard to try to not just talk about what our products can do for our customers but you know what's happening in the AI and in machine learning space and insurance like uh, our, our chief strategy officer Neil Pearson uh, just did a really exciting webinar with our VP of AI Dr. Daniela Moody last week about demystifying AI and machine learning and insurance and well of course we touched on what that means in our products you know it was a broader discussion about like how do you how do you use these types of tools that we have today to to create better outcomes and not just you know for what our tour does so we created white papers on how uh, imagery um, across satellite, stratospheric, aerial, you know, and, and ground level, right, uh, or drones is where does it be, where is it useful, where is it not useful? And just kind of creating that transparency and knowledge. So a number of those materials are also to be found on our website, but I would encourage anybody who wants to learn more to not just look at what we talk about, what our products can do for you, while that's ultimately important. There's a lot of really interesting stuff about why this matters and what else is happening in the industry more broadly with AI machine learning that we, we also think it's really uh, exciting to get to share with, with the customers, with customers, prospects, or just the market. That's great. Well, actually, also for our team as well to understand this. And actually, we had Neil on stage at one of our events. Uh, we managed to fit five in, actually, the back end of last year, and he's very good enough when he's over in London to come and talk. And actually, hopefully, JC, if you're coming over to London at some point in the future, we'll find a way to get you on stage or certainly get you one of our dinners or breakfast. You know, there's so much going on now. We can put you in front of some people in London as well if you're, uh, you're up for that. I would love that. I, I'd never miss a chance to go to London. That was the place I missed the most during COVID not going. And when I when I spoke in Paris at the uh, World Satellite Business Conference, um, I specifically went to London just to visit for a weekend because I'd missed it so much. So you, you, you don't have to twist my arm to get me over there. No, well, what I would say, we're coming at this time of year. Last week, we had temperature in the 20 degrees centigrade, and not quite sure that is in Fahrenheit, but it was pretty hot. And this, and this week, we've got snow. So uh, <laughs> just pack a big bag, that's what I say. Uh, but, JC, that was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. And thanks for your support for Instec as well. We really appreciate that. And uh, people can learn more about you in our remote claims report, which will be coming out uh, by the time people listen to this, actually. So we'll give some links to that as well. Thank you. Fantastic, Matthew. Really enjoyed this today and uh, have a great rest of your day. Well, that's almost enough for me now. As always, you can find all that we're up to with our live evening events, reports, and of course, we'd love to talk to you about corporate membership. Contact me, Matthew Grant via LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at instec.london. And of course, lots of information on our website, www.instec.london. Okay, that's it. We're done.